Welcome to Good News on Catholic Spirit Radio, a program for teens and almost teens to better understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is relevant in their lives. And it's a place where your questions about faith and religion can be answered. And now, here's your host, Deacon Al. Thank you, John. Good evening and welcome to Good News. This is Deacon Al Lundy. I am a permanent deacon in the Peoria Diocese, speaking to you on Catholic Spirit Radio. And uh, so happy that we now touch on multiple dioceses. Uh, It's just growing leaps and bounds here, and we appreciate your help in doing that. Your generosity, your prayers, your financial support have allowed Catholic Spirit Radio to uh, truly spread its wings. And now we reach three or four dioceses, John, which is it? Hold up some fingers for me. Three, three dioceses. Joliet and a little bit of Springfield. No, not yet. Rockford. Rockford. That's right, the Rockford Diocese and the Peoria Diocese. And I don't know, I I can't tell you for sure what, what, uh, what, what Rockford and uh, and uh, Joliet are going through, but I can tell you what we're going through in the Peoria Diocese, and it it's challenging. It's challenging to say the least. We're under a, a program called Growing Disciples, which has uh, wonderful goals. It really does. I, I give our bishop uh, Bishop Tilka a, a lot of credit. He's come up with an excellent plan with some really good pillars of faith that we, we're going to be focusing on uh, here to. Uh, to help revitalize our Catholic faith in the Peoria Diocese. And that's going to involve uh, managing our resources differently, which is a, a kind, gentle way of saying, we're going to have to close some churches. We are, we are property rich as are most dioceses. And the, the problem is that uh, as, as finances in the world change, not just in, in the church, but, but mostly just finances in the world change, we don't want to be, putting all of our financial resources in the future into just maintaining properties. We want it to go into spreading the gospel, into evangelization, into the ministries of Christ. And uh, to do that, we have to rid ourselves of some of these buildings that we have, some of the churches that we have, some of the parish centers, and, uh, and, and gather parishes together into new larger parishes so that the churches we have can be filled and we could have uh, vibrant uh, Catholic communities within our parishes. But that means in the Peoria Diocese, we're going to be closing dozens of, of churches. And that's very personal to people. That's, that's a very hard, hard thing to do. In fact, uh, I serve two parishes as a deacon. One of them is going to close. Uh, right now, the, the proposal is for the largest of the two parishes I serve, Holy Trinity. But uh, the final decision has not been announced, but we're getting closer. And I guess that's why I'm bringing it up, because this is on everybody's hearts right now. The final decision is going to be made um, on Pentecost Sunday, which I believe is the 19th, April. Yes, April 19th sounds right to me. Uh, right about there, 40 days after, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's it. John's looking at me like, what? It's, Pente- it's going to be Pentecost. And so on Pentecost Sunday, they're going to make the announcements um, in the evening. It'll be first on our, on our website as to which parishes for certain are going to be closing. Now, some are going to be closing completely. They're going to be reduced in how they're used. We're calling those secondary parishes. So that we'll have primary, secondary, and then we'll have a list of dozens of churches that are going to be closed. So one of the two churches I serve uh, will be on the closing list May 19th. May 19th sorry. Got that. Thank you, John. The, the wonders of the internet. So on May 19th, we'll make that announcement will be made. So we're all kind of on pins and needles as to, you know, who's going to be open, who's going to be closed. And it makes it tough to schedule. I mean, it makes it tough to plan 
because we don't know after May 19th how soon things are going to close up. It could take a year or two for a church to close. It could be that uh, in a week the doors will be locked or two weeks. We don't know. We haven't we haven't heard the plan yet, and I'm sure uh, the plan is going to be different for different churches. So what I'm saying is that life changes. Um, you got to be flexible with the change. You have to remember that our Catholic faith resides in our relationship with Christ, not in the building we meet in, and that although we do have some emotional ties to those buildings, some of them generational, uh, where our grandparents helped build the church, or our great-grandparents, uh, it's still important to remember that our faith rests in our relationship with Christ, not in the building we gather in. Uh, the building we're in will eventually crumble anyway. Uh, there will eventually be new buildings. So uh, be patient, be uh, perse- uh, persevere in your faith, and let's just wait to see what happens and make make the best of it. Some of us will end up in some of the clergy, uh, the priests especially, are going to end up in new towns altogether, new new parishes, new communities, and have to pick up and move. And this is probably going to be one of the largest moves we've seen of of priests in in a long time. Uh, for deacons, for deacons, we tend to go where our parish goes. So wherever the my problem is, we have two parishes, and they they could go different directions. So we're waiting to find out. But for the most part, your deacons will go where your parish goes. So. Uh, you won't be losing your deacons, but it's very possible that uh, we'll be seeing the the priests uh, moved moved around quite a bit. But it's still the same faith. It's still the same God. It's it's still the same uh, the same relationship with Christ that we've had. We're just going to do it with a, a new family, a new community, and possibly in a different building. But it's uh, it's still our Catholic faith. It's lasted two thousand years. It will survive this. If this hasn't happened in your diocese yet, it's bound to happen soon. Uh, just be uh, be prepared for it and and understand that the the goal is uh, to become a a more powerful, more vibrant uh, Catholic community and Catholic movement uh, in your area. So we wish everyone well in that, and uh, uh, hope we can uh, stay together as as much as possible in, in our current uh, configurations, but. Change is going to happen, and, and that can't be helped. We have uh, a lot of things going on at Catholic Spirit Radio. We just had photos taken this week. All of us got beautiful new pictures. I, for one, have a face for radio and and not for the Internet or for, for television. I've uh, been there, done that. and uh, But they, they we had a professional photographer in, got all our pictures, because our website is being refurbished. And uh, so you'll see a, a whole new look to our website very shortly. Still a lot of the same great features uh, especially you'll, you'll be able to find out mass times. And that's going to be really, really important come, uh, come summer because with the new parish configurations will no doubtedly be new mass times for just about every parish. And so uh, come summer, especially as things start to change, you can always uh, get on the internet and look at Catholic Spirit Radio and we can show you what the new mass times will be at all the parishes we serve throughout the three dioceses. You'll also find uh, times and dates for uh, confession, for adoration, stations of the cross, rosary, all kinds of liturgies uh, are, are on our calendar there, special events, uh, parish picnics, things of that sort, guest speakers coming in. We have, uh, and we just got the date today, and I should have written it down, it's going to be March. It's going to be the, the Saturday of the weekend uh, before uh, Easter, so that's the 17th. Does that sound Right, John, if you check that, what's the Saturday of Palm Sunday weekend? Yeah, that's uh, March the 23rd. 23rd. 
Saturday the 23rd. That's going to be um, Kevin Matthews. Sorry, Keith Matthews. Kevin. Kevin. Kevin Matthews. Thank you. Kevin Matthews, for those of you from the Chicago area, might remember Kevin from uh, from his days on Chicago radio with the likes of uh, Jonathan Brandmeier and Steve Dahl uh, and, and that group. Uh, he was a very well-known DJ at the time who has since found Christ and uh, has written uh, a lot of really wonderful uh, Catholic books. And he's going to be here with uh, the statue itself of the Broken Mary. And what a wonderful story that is. Look that up. Uh, that's really a, a miraculous um, sacramental. And so he will be bringing Broken Mary with him. He'll be here for um, on, on Saturday. There'll be a luncheon. We'll have a, a, a talk from him. And then there will be a book signing of the Broken Mary book. Uh, no charge to any of this. We hope you'll come join us at Holy Trinity Church for that event. And I think we're going to try and get him on the radio here, right? We're, we're making that, uh, reaching out to him, see if we can't get him on the radio uh, a few days before he gets here to uh, to talk about the book and about his visit uh, to Bloomington. So uh, we invite all of our listeners from from all of our dioceses to join us for that. I think you'll find find him a fascinating speaker. So this is the we're coming up on the this is the fifth Sunday of ordinary time. We have our our mass readings uh, from uh, the Book of Job, from uh, Paul to the uh, Corinthians, and then uh, we have Mark as our uh, as our gospel uh, author. This is Deacon Al on Catholic Spirit Radio. This is the fifth Sunday of Ordinary Time. We begin with a reading from the book of Job. Uh, Job is a wonderful story. Now, the, what you're going to hear in the reading for Mass is, is just a small portion of it. We're in Job chapter 7. Um, Job is most likely not a historical book. It's it's a parable. It's, an, it's, it's very likely uh, the oldest book in the Bible. The story of Job probably um, existed prior to uh, Moses' writing of the uh, of Genesis. So this is probably one of the oldest stories there. And it's an interesting story in that it talks about God's faithfulness to us and the importance of us persevering in our lives with, with God. And it kind of, it starts out kind of like a fairy tale. Once there was a man named Job, you know, it sounds like once upon a time. And it talks about uh, one day when uh, Satan was visiting heaven. Well, yeah, I don't think that happens. I'm pretty sure since nothing nothing impure can be in the presence of God, we know that, we've learned that through Scripture, uh, that the likelihood that uh, that Satan and God get together for tea every now and then is pretty, pretty unlikely. But the way Job starts is with this imaginary meeting between Satan and God. And Satan says, of course, people love you, God. You're, you're their benefactor. You do all these wonderful things for human beings. Why wouldn't they like you? And God argues back that, that that's not the reason for the relationship, that it's it's not the fact that God does all these great things, that there's this love between God and mankind for other reasons. And Satan says, no, I'll prove it. I'll prove that it's because of what you do. He says, let me, uh, let me fool around with one of these human beings. Let me give them some real trouble and see if they hold on to their faithfulness to you when things aren't going well. So they make a little wager. I, again, I don't think God and Satan normally bet together. So this just proves that this is a, this is a parable. This is a, a story with a moral to teach us. And so God says, okay, tell you what, I'll let you do anything you want, but kill them. You, you can't take their lives. But other than that, you can, 
you can torture them as much as you want. I don't think they'll lose their faithfulness. And I get to pick the person who you do this to. So he picked a man named Job. And and Job was this uh, uh, rather wealthy, well-to-do family man, wife, kids, lots of, lots of uh, uh, cattle, sheep, goats, rams, whatever it was he was raising, I forget. Fairly wealthy, well-to-do guy. And says, I've got this great relationship with Job. We love each other. If you think you can turn Job just by giving him a rough life, have at it. So Satan does just that. And man, he really, he really lays into Job. By the, by the end of the story, he's taken his family away. He's taken his wealth. He's taken all his herd animals. He's taken his friends away. Uh, he's, put, he's put all sorts of physical ailments onto Job. And that's where we pick up now in chapter 7. Uh, with Job in prayer to God. And after all this has happened, Job still is turning to God with with his problems. He hasn't fallen away. He hasn't disowned God. Instead, he's still going back. Now, granted, he's lamenting what's going on. He's, he's bringing his problems to God and saying, what's going on here? Look at all this that's happening to me. Uh, and then the story goes on from there. But uh, the reason we have this, you'll see why we have this as the first reading, is because of the subsequent readings we will have today and how they tie together. So in the book of Job, chapter 7, we here's what we uh, will hear at Mass this weekend. Job spoke, saying, Is not man's life on earth a drudgery? Are not his days those of hirelings? He's a slave who longs for the shade, a hireling who waits for his wages. So I have been assigned months of misery, and troubled nights have been allotted to me. If in bed I say, When shall I arise? Then it, then. The night drags on. I'm filled with restlessness until the dawn. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and they come to an end without hope. Remember that my life is like the wind. I shall not see happiness again. Hey, this is this is a, a man really at the at the bitter end, at the very end of his rope, and he's turning to God, saying, "You know, I'm still. I am just so overwhelmed. I don't know what to do." You have to read the rest of Job to see where it goes from there. Uh, I'm happy to tell you it has a happy ending, but I'm also sad to tell you it gets a little worse before it gets a little better, before it gets a lot better. Our our psalm reading, our our responsorial psalm reminds us, uh, and this is from Psalm 147, praise the Lord who helps the brokenhearted. So this kind of gives us a little forbearing of what's going to happen. God helps the brokenhearted. And those of you who have ever been on really hard times, uh, understand that there are there are worse things than just being ill. There are worse things than being uh, impoverished. There are worse things than being without a friend. There's there's a poverty that goes beyond the poverty of this world, and that's spiritual poverty of next of the next world. It's when you lose all hope in God, or you never gain that love of God. That's real poverty. That's that's really when things are at the worst. If you die in that kind of poverty, if you if you die in that that absence of of Christ in your life, then you're looking at an eternity in that poverty. And God didn't create us for that. He doesn't want that for us. But that's really the worst thing that can happen. And and we do that to ourselves by by our insistence of of rejecting. Uh, God's love. And so the psalm reminds us that even even at our lowest point, God is still with us and still not only worthy of our praise, but but will in the end, as he as we find out in Job, uh, in the end will bring us back to a new life. Uh, and 
and be with us for forever. In our, in our second reading from uh, Paul to the Corinthians, Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, if I preach the gospel, this is no reason for me to boast, for an obligation has been imposed on me. And woe to me if I do not preach it. If I do so willingly, I have recompense, means reward. But if unwillingly, then I've been entrusted with a stewardship. And what then is my recompense? That when I preach, I offer the gospel free of charge, so as to not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Although I am free in regard to all, I've made myself a slave to all, so as to win over as many as possible. To the weak, I become weak, to win over the weak. I've become all things to all, to save at least some. All this I do for the sake of the gospel, so that I too may have a share in it. So this poverty that we see in Job, Paul accepts willingly, because in in releasing all of his worldly goods, he's able to encompass all of the goods that that God offers, uh, which is primarily the the salvation of of God's love and the sal- and the salvation of others. The ability for Paul to act as an agent of God, he talks about being um, entrusted with a stewardship, and we, that's how we look at our our priests and our bishops as stewards of 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 Christ. Uh, it, it was in biblical times when the head of a household would go on a journey, he would take his most trusted servant and give them the keys to the, the keep where the food was or where the wealth was so that they could continue to pay the people working the fields, continue to pay the, the, the people with, within the household that they, or within the community uh, that they were responsible for caring for. So even though the, the, the king or the regent was away, their, their good acts for those they cared for could still go on through the acts of the steward. And so bishops and priests act as, act as stewards of Christ. When we read in Scripture that, that Christ gives uh, Peter the keys, that's what he's talking about. He's making Peter the steward of Christ. Um, and that's why we refer to the Pope as, as a steward as, uh, in, in his apostolic succession from, from Peter. He acts as a steward of Christ. He cares for those that Christ cares for in Christ's absence until his return. The keys to, they talk about the keys to the gate of heaven. The gate of heaven isn't some pearly gate up in the clouds. The church is the gate to heaven. It's through the church that we enter uh, into the salvation of Christ. So Paul's acting as a steward, and, he, and, and we're all called to be stewards. We're all act to have, called to have this, this impoverished state where the wealth and power and authority aren't what uh, empowers us, what empowers us is, our, is the simplicity of, of God's love. And so that's, that's what we seek. In our gospel from Mark, I, I love Mark's gospel. Mark is really unique. People talk about the, uh, the authors of the gospels, and they say, well, did any of them actually know Christ? Well, certainly. Uh, we can point to Matthew, who was an apostle. We can point to John, who was an apostle, who were with uh, Christ through all of his ministries. But people forget about Mark, because it's not really talked about directly in Scripture. But in biblical history, we know that, that Mark was a disciple, not an apostle. He wasn't one of the original 12, but Mark's mother was a disciple. In fact, we, we hear in Scripture about um, Jesus having dinner at, at uh, the home of Mark. And so Mark was probably a teenager, maybe a little bit younger when he first met Jesus, and he traveled with Jesus and, and the other apostles uh, because his mother was one of the women who, who Scripture tells us would, would follow along to help uh, care for the apostles, to help 
uh, prepare meals and, and things of that sort for them. And so Mark was, was with Jesus as a very young man. And if, when you read the Gospels of Mark at, at Gethsemane, when he talks about uh, there was a young boy who, in running away, had his, had his clothing torn from him, and he ran off naked in the night, that's Mark. He's talking about himself. It's a real common thing in the Gospels where when John talks about himself, he'll say, an apostle who Christ loved, right? or one of the apostles. And we read that in Matthew as well. He'll talk about an apostle. When they don't name the one that, that they're talking about, they're talking about themselves. And so Mark talks often about himself, but in very simplistic ways. And his Gospels are very direct. He, the, the Gospels of Mark aren't embellished a lot. It's a very matter-of-fact. And what you're going to hear in, in this gospel, a lot's going on. He doesn't give you a lot of details. He just gives you kind of the, the big points. But if you go back and start connecting the dots, you see, my gosh, there's a lot going on here. So in the gospel according to Mark, it tells us that on leaving, on leaving the synagogue, Jesus entered the house of Simon, that's Peter, and Andrew with James and John. Simon's mother lay ill with fever. They immediately told him about her. And he approached, grasped her hand, and helped her up. And then the fever left her, and she waited on them. When it was evening after sunset, they brought to him all who were ill or possessed by demons. The whole town was gathered at the door. He cured many who were sick with various diseases, and he drove out many demons, not permitting them to speak because they knew him. Rising very early before the dawn, he left and went off to a deserted place where he prayed. Simon and those who were with him pursued him, and on finding him said, Everyone is looking for you. And he told them, Let us go on to the nearby villages, that I may preach there also. For this purpose I have come. So he went into their synagogues, preaching and driving out demons throughout the whole of Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. So what we're looking at here is really just like 24 hours in the life of Christ. And what you realize is, it's a busy man. This was a busy, busy ministry. This isn't like he sat around just teaching the apostles for several hours and then every now and then would wander upon a a leper and cure them or a blind person and and cure them. Listen to what's going on. Early in the morning, they go to visit Peter and Andrew's home and they find Peter's mother-in-law sick. So the first thing that happens is Jesus uh, cures her. Now, this is a serious illness. It says she she was laying in bed sick with a fever. You have to put things into their historical time period. There's no aspirin. There's no penicillin. A, a fever meant an internal infection. This was this was really serious stuff. When you had a fever, uh, your chances of survival in those days were really pretty slim because they had no real knowledge of what caused a fever. They had no real knowledge of infection, and they had no way to, to treat it. And so this is a woman who's deathly ill, and just the mere touch of Jesus' hand cures her to the point where she gets up and uh, and has the strength to prepare meals for the five of these people and 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 serve them, uh, and and gratefully uh, and to gratefully do so. Then, it was evening after sunset. So now we're talking well into the day. The entire town has been called, and who called them? Peter and the apostles. They did this for my for my mother in law. He can do this for you. Come meet him. And so the entire town has gathered outside this woman's door, and Jesus stays and cures all of them who were ill or who uh, needed demons uh, excised from them. The, uh, if you've watched the, the TV show, uh, The Chosen, which I highly recommend, great, great program. They do a beautiful job 
of of showing this event. That of course it's a dramatic imagination of what it must have been like. But if you think that that Jesus's day started early in the morning, traveling, and then we know he did the cure, and we we know from other scripture readings that when he does these cures, it takes it takes a lot of energy out of him. I mean, just when the the woman suffering from the hemorrhage that we read about last weekend touched his clothing, and the energy it tells us that the energy left him and he knew someone had touched him. So you know that these, these uh, cures that he does, these, uh, uh, these healing ministries, uh, they can probably be exhausting to him. And yet he stayed up all night helping the, the entire town. So now the next morning he gets early in the morning before sunrise. So he's had very little sleep. The first thing he wants to do is pray. And that's the first thing we should all want to do when we get up in the morning. That should be the start. I, I have a, f- a friend who talks about the, the first thing that touches the floor when he gets out of bed isn't his feet, it's his knees. First thing he does is roll out of bed, land on his knees, and, and he does his morning prayers. Uh, the first thing I do is walk to the coffee machine. Then I start my morning prayers. Uh, I love my God, but I need my coffee. <laughs> so get my coffee, do my morning prayers. But that's a, that's a great way to start the day, especially uh, now when I'm getting up and the sun's just coming up. I love doing morning prayers at, at dawn. So Jesus goes out, and the first thing he wants to do after, after, uh, in the morning is, uh, is do his prayers. And before he has a chance to do that, he's being uh, hunted down, basically, by his apostles again, saying, everyone's back again. They want to hear more from you. And Jesus says, you know what? We have to leave. It would be easy for him to be stuck in one town, just ministering to one community. Uh, but he's not called to do that, just like he's not called to minister to just Christians or just Catholics. Christ came to minister to the world. And so Jesus said, I, I can't stay here. I have other places to be. I have other communities to go to that I must minister to as well, because that's what I've been called to do, is to to bring my, this ministry to everyone. And so off he goes again on another long walk. And at each town he comes to, it's, it's pretty much falling into the same pattern. It's... Uh, Teaching, preaching, healing, prayer. Teaching, healing, prayer. And and this just continues now. And and as he does this, more and more people start to discover what's going on with this this unique person. And now they're coming from all over. And we're going to hear next week the effect that that's having on his ministry. This this next uh, uh, gospel next week is going to change Jesus' ministry completely. So how does this affect you? Well, it affects you and I because it's important that we understand that Christ is reaching out to all of us for this healing. Just as he's going to reach out to Job, God's going to reach out to Job and correct his suffering that that sin the devil has brought to him. Uh, Christ reaches out to us to heal our sin, to heal our brokenness as well. And it's not just to any one faction. It's to all of mankind. Christ's love is uh, Catholic, universal. It's for everyone. And all it takes is an open mind and an open heart to, to reach out for Christ. So uh, think about that. Every sunrise you see, uh, start your day in prayer. Ask God to join you uh, in healing, in comfort. Uh, he does not turn away anyone. He didn't turn away Job uh, in his anguish, and he will not turn you and I away uh, either. So that's our good news for this weekend. We hope you'll join us every Saturday and Sunday on Catholic Spirit Radio for more good news. So until next weekend, may Almighty God bless you, protect you from all evil, 
and bring you to everlasting life. You've been listening to Good News on Catholic Spirit Radio, a program for teens and almost teens to better understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is relevant in your life. Submit your questions to Deacon Al at goodnews at catholicspiritradio.com. That's goodnews at catholicspiritradio.com. Deacon will answer your questions about faith and religion. Thank you for listening to Good News on Catholic Spirit Radio.